Well, if you have a Bible with you or some kind of device with a Bible app, grab those things. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7 together. Matthew chapter 7. Have any of you read a book or watched a movie and gotten all the way to the final chapter only to have the whole thing ruined? Yeah, I took my wife to see a movie a few years back, and the entire time I was intrigued, I was interested, couldn't wait to see what was getting ready to happen, and then the final chapter of the movie came, and it was so lame and so cheesy that it ruined the entire experience. I mean, I felt like I had just wasted $20 and two hours of my life, but look, as people, we all know that when it comes to books, movies, uh, other forms of entertainment, even sporting events, that the ending always matters. It always matters. Bad ending, bad experience. Well, listen, today we come to the final chapter or the ending of the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And this final chapter of this sermon, it matters immensely. In it, Jesus offers several warnings meant to protect us as his followers and prevent us from falling into things like apathy, uh, hypocrisy, unbelief, discouragement, among others. So with that said, if your Bible's open, we're going to dive in. Verse 13, we'll start reading there. And if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens. This is Jesus preaching. Here's what he says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So in these verses, Jesus, he's giving us a warning about gates. He's simply teaching that when it comes to eternal life, heaven and hell, there are only two gates to choose from, a wide gate and a narrow gate. One leads to life, one leads to destruction. And Jesus does us a favor and he actually describes these gates so that we can understand which one we've entered and which path we're on. First, he talks about a wide gate. And he says that many people, listen, many people have entered through this wide gate. And the reason's simple, because it leads to a way that's easy, right? People who enter through the wide gate Uh, They live how they want to live, believe how they want to believe, do what they want to do. This is a way of life that is culturally popular. It's agreeable. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't require sacrifice. But the bad news, as we just read, uh, it's a way of life that leads to destruction. And to help you really understand what I mean, I'll just make it practical and give you a few invitations into the wide gate so that you can know what those invitations sound like. Uh, One invitation into the wide gate is this. Hey, just be a good person. And when it's all said and done, you'll enter heaven, the kingdom of God. That's easy, isn't it? It's easy because at the end of the day, let's be honest, we all think we're good people, don't we? All of us, I mean, just look out across uh, social media. Anytime anyone passes away, they always end up in a better place, no matter who they were. Everybody thinks they're a good person. And if we ever doubt our goodness, all we'll do is find that person that's worse than us and we'll compare ourselves to them. You know, at least I'm not like Billy down the street. Don't do what he does. I'm not like Sally at my office. I'm basically a good person. Now, here's the problem with this way of thinking. God doesn't allow good people into his kingdom. He only allows perfect people into his kingdom. Holy people, righteous people. And can we be honest? None of us are those people, are we? 
which is why we need someone outside of ourselves, Jesus, to make us into those perfect, holy, righteous people we need to be to one day enter the kingdom of God. More on that in a few moments. Uh, Another invitation into the wide gate sounds like this. Hey, you can have Jesus and your sin and still enter the kingdom of God one day. That's easy, isn't it? You, you telling me that I can have just enough of Jesus to get into heaven and live however I want to live and still be okay? Sign me up. That's easy. Maybe you're here today and you've bought into this way of thinking. Like you're the person who, who truly has convinced yourself that you can live how you want to live, partake in whatever sin you want to partake in because you prayed a prayer when you were eight asking God to keep you out of hell. So now you're good. Can I just tell you as your pastor who loves you deeply, that mindset is wrong. The mindset is wrong. You're wrong today. I need you to know that according to what God says in his word, it is impossible to hold fast to Jesus while still holding fast to your sin. According to what God says in this book, the person who claims to know Jesus while holding fast to their sin probably doesn't know Jesus. Right, and I'll prove it to you. All right, first John. Chapter three, verses four through nine. This will be on the screens. You can read with me. Here's what John says. The disciple of Jesus. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, that's Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is, or, uh, is righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. What's John saying? Is he saying that if you know Jesus, you'll never sin again? No, that's not what he's saying, right? I mean, according to the Bible, it doesn't matter if you know Jesus or don't know Jesus. There's a broken part of you called your flesh. And because your flesh is broken, it will remain broken until you see Jesus face to face one day. Because it's broken, you will still sin on this side of eternity. What John is teaching is this. You can't claim to know Jesus and make a habitual practice of sinning. The person who habitually practices sin, it doesn't matter if they claim to know Jesus, they don't know Jesus because anyone who's been born of God, born of Jesus, doesn't keep on sinning. Are you with me? I'll give you a picture. I have a really bad habit of biting my fingernails. Anybody out there do this? Make me feel better, like I'm not the only disgusting person in the room with a bad habit. Bad habit of biting my fingernails. I've tried to stop, can't stop. It drives me nuts. Uh, There's a difference between a guy like me who bites my fingernails all the time and my wife, who might occasionally bite off a fingernail if it's jagged or if it's broken, right? Does this make sense? There's a difference between the person who knows Christ and sins occasionally while feeling deep grief and deep conviction over their sin. There's a difference between that person and the person who practices habitual sin while experiencing no grief or conviction at all. According to Jesus, the latter person has entered through the wide gate. I'll give you one more invitation, all right? Here's another one, very culturally popular. All paths are the same. All paths lead to the same place, so just pick a path and get on it. Pick a God, pick a religion, pick a belief system. You believe what you wanna believe, I'll believe what I wanna believe. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we believe because all paths get to God. The 
problem with that way of thinking is Jesus. The words of Jesus in the Bible destroy any notion or any idea that this claim is somehow true. Or just read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You'll find Jesus time and time again making very exclusive claims about being the only one who can save people out of sin, death, and hell into new and eternal life. This is the claim Jesus makes in Matthew 7 in our passage for today when he talks about the second gate. That second gate, Jesus says, is a narrow gate. And when Jesus talks about the narrow gate, he's talking about himself. He's basically teaching here that there is only one way into eternal life, one way into heaven, one way into the kingdom of God, and he's it. If you still have your Bibles open, I want you to save your place in Matthew 7, and I want you to flip over just a few books with me to John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus takes this this picture of being the gate or the door to a new level, and he explains it in a brilliant way. So I want to show it to you. John chapter 10, we're going to start reading in verse 1. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, skip down to verse 9. Look at what he goes on to say. I'm the door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So in John 10, Jesus is using imagery of a sheepfold to unpack not only who he is, but the purpose for for coming into the world. Uh, During this time, a sheepfold was basically an enclosure that shepherds built to keep their sheep confined to a particular space. They would stack up rocks really high so that the sheep couldn't jump out. And then oftentimes they would put thorns or branches on top of the rocks so that wild animals or robbers couldn't climb in. Now, somewhere in the sheepfold, there was an opening, and that opening allowed the sheep to come in, to, to go out, to find pasture, to find rest. And at night, the shepherd would gather all of his sheep into the sheepfold, and he would lay across that opening to serve as the gate or the door. So Jesus is saying here in John 10, that's who I am. That's who I'm the gate, I'm the door. No one comes into the flock or the family of God unless they enter through me. I am that good shepherd who has laid my life down for the sheep. And if you want into the kingdom, I am the way in. Now, if you're not much of a word picture kind of person and you're sitting there going, well, James, is that really what he's saying? All this gate door talk, is Jesus really saying that? I just want to make it crystal clear because I don't want to leave anybody behind. So let me offer what I believe is the clearest claim from Jesus in the New Testament about who he is. John 14, 6. You ready? Here's what he says. I am the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now look right there for just a minute. What Jesus does not say is, hey, I'm, I'm one of the ways... There's a lot of ways out there to get to God, and I'm just one way, so if you want to come through me, I can get you there, but, but there are other ways you can pick as well. I, I'm, I'm the truth. Uh, if you want to know what God's like, you can look to me, but here's all these other truths about God as well. Pay attention to those two. Uh, I'm the life. If you want life with God, I can hook you up, but there are other people and other ways that can hook you up as well. Uh, if you want to come to the Father through me, that's great, but if not, just, just, just choose a way. Get on a path. 
It's not what he says. Jesus says, I'm the way. One way to get to God, and I'm the only way. You want to get there? You have to go through me. I'm the truth about God. You want to know what God is like? Don't look any other place but to me. You want to know what his character is like? How he feels about sin and sinners? Do you want to know what his mercy is like? What his justice looks like? Just look to me and I'll show you. I'm the truth about God. I'm the life. You want life with God? You want to live the life God created you to live now? You want eternal life with God after life is over? I'm the guy who can give it to you. The only one who can give it to you. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know some of us were probably thinking, James, that sounds really exclusive. And it is. Jesus is basically saying here that he's right and everybody else is wrong. That no other religion, no other belief system is right. That there's one way to know eternal life and he is the way. Anyone who doesn't put their faith and trust in him will spend eternity separated from the God of the universe in a very real place called hell. That's exclusive. But please hear me. It is also very inclusive. Please don't miss this. Even though the gate that leads to eternal life is narrow, here's what's beautiful, anyone can enter. Isn't that awesome? The gate into the kingdom of God, it's a narrow gate, but anyone can enter. You might be the most unholy heathen person in the room today, and Jesus invites you in. It doesn't matter what you've done, the life you've lived, the person uh, you are right now. Jesus says, if you want into the family of God, you come to me just as you are. All your baggage, all your sin, all your mess. You don't need to fix anything, clean your life up, earn anything, prove anything. I'll take care of all that for you. You just come to me and I'll let you in to the kingdom. Now here's the catch. Jesus says in Matthew 7... That when we enter the kingdom of God through him, he's the narrow gate, look, that the way gets hard. That the way gets hard. If you take a note, I want you to write this down. Becoming a Christian is easy. Being one is hard. A lot of people don't want to tell you this. I don't want to lie to you today, so write it down and we're going to talk. Becoming a Christian is easy. Being one is hard. Becoming a Christian costs you nothing. Costs Jesus everything. Right? He went to a cross 2,000 years ago and laid his life down in your place for your sins and three days later rose from the dead to conquer sin, death, and hell on your behalf. But to receive the salvation that Jesus has purchased for you, it costs you nothing. You simply put your faith and trust in him. You confess your sin and your need for a savior and Jesus welcomes you into the kingdom. It costs you nothing. But look at me. Following Jesus, that will cost you everything. Like, I don't want to lie to you today and tell you that following Jesus is always sunshine and butterflies. Because it's not. Following Jesus, according to Jesus, is really difficult at times. At times it's going to mean persecution. And not the type of persecution that happens because you're an annoying Christian. Right? There are Christians out there who get persecuted and blasted because they're just annoying. I'm talking about the persecution that comes as a result of faithful obedience to God. Jesus said to his disciples, man, the world hated me. It's going to hate you. We've got to be ready for that. At times, following Jesus will require great sacrifice on our part. I mean, we've got a family in our church right now, Joel and Amanda Griffin, who are making preparations with their two young daughters to move all the way across the world to Burkina Faso, a country where we work, the third poorest country on earth to serve as full-time missionaries. 
They're in the process right now of selling off everything that they own to walk in obedience to God. Look, you need to pray for them. You need to encourage them. Some of you need to give your money to them and, 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 and help send them off financially. What they're doing is not easy. It is hard. But sometimes that's what following Jesus requires. Can I be really honest? Sometimes following Jesus is going to be lonely. Remember what he said? We just read it. The people who enter through the narrow gate are the few. Not the many, but the few. There are going to be times when you're trying to follow Jesus and you look around and you just wonder, am I the only one? Am I the only one who cares? Am I the only one trying? You're going to feel all alone at times. It's going to be frustrating. At times it's going to be overwhelming. And maybe you're wondering right now, James, why would I choose that way if it's that difficult? Well, the answer is simple. That's the way that leads to life. It leads to life. This is something Jesus taught time and time again throughout the Gospels. And following him, yes, it would be hard at times. But following him would lead to life. I'll give you an example of what I mean. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25. Jesus is teaching here on the cost of discipleship. And here's what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it or save it, some of uh, your translations say. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I love that Jesus isn't the sleazy salesman who tells you all the great things about the product he's trying to offer while leaving out all the fine print. Jesus goes fine print on us here. He says, you you wanna come follow me? Yeah, it's gonna lead to life, but I I need to be honest, it's gonna be hard. If you want to come after me and be my disciple, first you have to deny yourself. That phrase, deny yourself, in the original Greek language of the New Testament means to forget about yourself completely. To lose sight of your wants and your desires. Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? Forget about you. Think about me. Think about other people. It's not about what you want anymore. It's about what I want for you. Secondly, you want to follow me? Take up your cross daily. This would have been a really weird statement to the people listening to Jesus teach this for the first time. You see, all they knew about crosses were that they were the most painful, violent, torturous uh, death devices ever devised by man. And if you found yourself taking one up, it meant you were about to die. It'd be like Jesus sitting across the table from us today saying, hey, if you want to come follow me, take a seat in the electric chair daily. It's really weird, isn't it? Here's his point. He's trying to get us to understand along with them that if we truly want to be his disciples and his followers, we have to be willing to live in total surrender and total obedience to him each and every day. Look, no matter what it costs us. Well, James, what if it costs me my life? Jesus says, lay down your life. Total obedience to me, no matter what it costs you. And then finally, Jesus says, follow me, follow me. I find it interesting that Jesus is telling a bunch of guys who left everything behind to come follow him, they're already following him. Like, I I think I'd have been the guy in the back of the room if I was hearing him say this, saying, Jesus, that's all we've been doing for a while now, following you. What do you mean? Jesus was trying to tell these guys that that following him is is about uh, much more than just being his physical shadow. Following Jesus is about following his teaching, following his example, Uh, walking in obedience to all of his commands day in and day out. It's about loving what he loves, hating what he hates, saying the things he said while he was here, 
loving and spending time with those people that he came to this earth to lay his life down for, to save and to rescue. Can we be honest? It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Forgetting about yourself completely, living in total obedience to Jesus every day, in every situation, in every circumstance, no matter what it costs you, and following day in and day out the examples and teachings of Jesus without error, without sin, without mistake. It's hard, isn't it? It's not always easy. But can I just remind you, Jesus says that when you lose your life for his sake, you gain life. You gain life. Like you can be that person to choose the easy way, the easy road. You can hold on to your life. You can live in control of you. You can gain everything the world has to offer you. But according to Jesus, in the end, you'd lose. You lose because in the process, you forfeit your very soul. So I wonder today, which gate have you entered? But which road are you on? Are you that person who, you know, you just kind of coasting through life, doing what you want to do, believing what you want to believe, living how you want to live? Are you on that easy road that leads to destruction? Or have you truly entered the narrow gate? Are you truly following Jesus? Like, are you that person who says, because of what he's done for me, Oh, I'll suffer for him. I'll face persecution for him. I'll sacrifice for him. I'll be uncomfortable for him. Whatever it takes, I will follow Jesus with everything I've got. If you're that person sitting here and you know that you're on that easy road, you've entered the wide gate, listen, before you leave today, I want to give you the opportunity to enter the narrow gate, to put your faith in Jesus Christ as the Savior you need. But before we get there, I need us to go back to the passage Because Jesus offers a second warning that goes hand in hand with the first. Look back down at verse 15 with me. He continues, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So the second warning is a warning about prophets, those people that claim to speak for God. And Jesus is teaching here that at the end of the day, there are only two types of prophets. There are true prophets and there are false prophets. True prophets are those people who who claim to speak for God and they're really speaking for God. God has spoken to them either through his word or the Holy Spirit. And just a little nugget here, if a person claims to have heard from the Holy Spirit, it better line up with the word of God or that wasn't the Holy Spirit. Just remember that, all right? It's that person who claims to have heard from God and they then relay that message to other people as God's mouthpiece. A false prophet is someone who claims to speak for God, but in reality, they are speaking for the devil. The devil uses false prophets to devour and destroy the people of God. You see, this is why in our passage, Jesus refers to them as those who come to you uh, in in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. Kind of reminds me of that kid's story, Little Red Riding Hood. You know, she's on her way to visit grandma and the wolf beats her there and he eats grandma and then he poses as grandma, gets in grandma's bed puts on grandma's clothes so that he can eventually eat Little Red Riding Hood. Stories we tell our kids. <laughs> Amazing, right? Yeah, honey, everybody got eaten by wolves. Good night, I'm gonna turn the light out. Sweet dreams. <laughs> Just crazy, insane. 
Listen, when I read Matthew 7, I'm reminded of that weird kid story. You see, the Bible oftentimes equates the people of God with sheep. Sheep aren't very bright. Sheep uh, are pretty blind. Sheep like to wander away. Sheep do some really dumb things. Sheep need to be protected. Look, sheep need a shepherd. We're like that. We're like that. Jesus, as we read a moment ago, is the good shepherd. We need him more than we think we need him. Jesus is teaching here that there are people out there who look like sheep, act like sheep, talk like sheep, claim to be sheep, love to hang out around sheep, not because they're sheep, but because they're wolves. Look at me. Wolves love sheep, just not in a good way. Right? Wolves love to eat sheep, devour sheep, destroy sheep. And Jesus is saying here, that's what a false prophet is like. The good news for us is this. Jesus also loves his sheep which is why we find him telling us you need to watch out for these people because all they want to do is tear you to shreds. So the question is, how do we recognize them? Like, how do we know when it's not a sheep, but a wolf? How do we know a false prophet when we see one? Well, Jesus says here in our passage, you're going to recognize them by the fruit. And he uses a great illustration to make his point. He says, consider fruit trees. Uh, First, a fruit tree is not going to bear fruit uh, that, that's not of its own kind, right? So you're not going to find grapes or figs on a thorn bush. You're not going to find apples on an orange tree or oranges on an apple tree. It just doesn't happen. In addition, Jesus says, healthy trees only bear healthy fruit. Bad trees or diseased trees only bear unhealthy fruit. His point is this. Prophets, they're like that. Their spiritual fruit tell you everything you need to know about what type of prophet they are. Good spiritual fruit, true prophet of God, bad spiritual fruit, false prophet. So let me make it super practical and I'll give you two ways to put their spiritual fruit to the test. These people who claim to speak for God so that you can decipher and discern what type of prophet they truly are. All right. Number one, you got to test their teaching. Person says, I'm speaking for God. They're opening the Bible. I've heard from God. The first thing you do is you test their teaching. You listen to what they have to say and then you ask the following questions. And I'm just going to read these as I've written them, so listen quickly, okay? Is Jesus at the center of their teaching? Start there. Is Jesus at the center of their teaching? Do they preach him as the narrow gate, as the only way to God? Do they teach an easy way or a hard way? Do they promise that in following Jesus, it's going to be health, wealth, and prosperity? Or do they teach that following Jesus means sacrifice, generosity, and servant leadership? Do they call people away from sin that threatens to destroy them and to repentance and confession? Do they teach full surrender and obedience to God's word? Or are they quick to change God's word and to skip over certain parts that people don't really like? Do they preach the whole character and the whole counsel of God? Or only the aspects of God's character and counsel that are easily digestible or palatable? Do they teach a man-centered theology or a God-centered theology? So in other words, as they teach, is God the point? Is Jesus the point? Or are you the point? These questions tell you all you need to know about these people. And and I would caution you, be really careful and really discerning. Especially all you grace people in the room whose default is, you know, let's just love everybody. If you're not careful, you will easily give false prophets a pass, right? Well, I mean, he's nice and he smiles a lot. And he says some funny things and he's really encouraging and Tells me how to live my best life now, right? And you'll give people a pass. 
And here's what I'm telling you. Look at me. You can't give these people a pass. You can't. And I know for some of us, it sounds harsh. Like, well, James, are you telling me that, that I've got to just write these people off completely because of a few wrong things they say? Yes. This is how false prophets dupe people. Listen, they mix just enough personality and truth into their messages to get people to buy in. And then once you've bought in, you can't tell the difference between what's true and what's not true. And all the false teachings start to compile in your life and and they destroy you. Please hear my heart for you. I'm saying this in love. Anybody who twists the truth, anybody who changes the truth, leaves out certain parts of the truth, doesn't tell the whole truth, that person is a bad tree. They're a false prophet and you need to cut off their influence in your life immediately. Secondly, not only do you test their teaching, but you also examine their life. Not only do you test their teaching, but you examine their life. So you don't just listen to what they have to say from the platform. You watch how they live off the platform. And as you watch how they live off the platform, you can ask the following questions. Are they the same person on the platform as they are off the platform? Is their life marked by humility and dependency upon Jesus? Do they live in accordance with the values of God's kingdom? Do they strive each day to obey all of Jesus' teachings? Not just some of them, but all of them. Do they practice repentance and confession? Are they quick, both privately and publicly, to acknowledge their need for Jesus and the Holy Spirit to put their sin to death? Do they practice sacrifice and generosity? Do they deny themselves, take up their crosses daily, and truly follow hard after Jesus? Do they love what Jesus loves, hate what Jesus hates? Are they quick to extend grace and mercy to those Jesus laid his life down to save? Please hear me. If a person's life and a person's teaching does not line up with the scriptures, what are they? False prophet, bad tree. Bad tree. And again, you need to cut off their influence in your life immediately. Immediately, you get rid of their books. You stop listening to their messages. You don't follow them on social media. You don't share or perpetuate their teachings with other people. You cut them off. And I know, again, for some of us, we're thinking, well, James, that sounds really harsh. It's not harsh when you remember who these people are. They're wolves. If you went home this afternoon and there was a full-grown wolf standing in your driveway, would you invite it in to play with your kids? No. Why? Because wolves are dangerous. That's what Jesus is teaching here. Hey, they're coming in sheep's clothing, so I know they don't look very dangerous. They don't appear dangerous, but they are dangerous. And as the people of God, the family of God, the flock of God, you don't invite wolves in, you don't pet them, you don't play with them, you don't associate with them, you call them what they are, and you avoid them at all costs. Here's how we're gonna close. Listen, I truly believe that there are some of us sitting in the room today who are on that wide road, that easy road. We've entered through the wide gate. And today we need to put our faith in Jesus for the first time. We need to enter the narrow gate. And again, I can't promise you that if you do that, life's going to be easy from here on out. It may get harder. I don't know. All I can tell you is that it leads to life. That's the promise that you have to hold fast to. And so if you need Jesus today, I'm going to give you the opportunity to put your faith in him now. Before we leave, we're going to just celebrate what we know to be true together as the people of God. There's no better way to combat falsehoods and erroneous teachings than by rooting our hearts, our minds, and our souls in what we know and believe to be true. And so we're going to celebrate what's true before we leave today. But right now, just around the room, heads bowed, eyes closed. 
If you're on our prayer team, I wanna invite you to go ahead and to come and to get in your places. If you're here today as that person who knows that you're on the easy road, there's never been a point in your life in which you have confessed your sin to God, your need for a savior. And today you know, man, I I need to enter through the narrow gate. I need Jesus. I need life. Maybe you showed up and you're that person questioning, man, does, does life have purpose? Does life have meaning? What happens after life is done? Well, Jesus answers all those questions for you. Look, if you need Jesus today, if you need salvation, forgiveness of your sins, new life while you're here, eternal life after your life is done, in the kingdom and family of God, then I would just invite you to pray with me. And I say this in moments like this all the time. There are no magic prayers that save people. Prayer doesn't save people. Jesus saves people. This prayer is simply your confession of who you believe Jesus to be and what you need him to do in your life. So right now in your seat, why don't you just pray something like this? God, I confess that I am a sinner and I need a savior. God, I I know that I'm on the wide, easy road, but today, God, I wanna enter through the narrow gate that is Jesus. And so I put my faith in him. I believe in his death on the cross for my sins. I believe in his resurrection from the dead that I might have new and eternal life with you. God, would you forgive me? Would you save me? Would you take control of my life today? Make me into the person you've created me to be. I say yes to Jesus.